Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about an accident with an oil lamp, an everyday mishap which was so common in Victorian London that it was listed as one of the highest causes of unintentional death in the home. The deceased even admitted that it was her fault. So where was the murder? Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 99, The Accidental Death of Amelia Pottle. Today, I'm standing on Great Windmill Street in Soho, W1, two streets southwest of the bludgeoned sex worker Jacqueline Beery, one street west of the stabbed hostess Camille Gordon, one street south of sweet-natured Ginger A, just five houses north of the unfortunate Mr. Johnson, and two streets west of the tragic death of 11-month-old Richard Higgs, coming soon to Murdermar. Situated just off Piccadilly Circus, Great Windmill Street is a gloomy one-way road used by taxi drivers as a sneaky cut-through to whiz from Shaftesbury Avenue to Oxford Street, without being asphyxiated by the rush-hour smog. Back in the 17th century, when Soho was a hunting ground, this small hillock 
known as Windmill Field, was named after a wooden windmill which stood at its top end. But like many parts of a bustling city like London, over the decades, as the people change, so do the places. Back in the 1980s, at the peak of Soho's sleaziness, as a seedy side street, still living off the reputation of the defunct Windmill Theatre, where mucky-macked men watched tastefully posed nudie ladies in a tableau vivant, with both eyes jutting out of their heads and one eye peeping out of their pants, Great Windmill Street was smut from top to bottom. Being barely 300 feet long, although recently gentrified, it still packs in a lot for such a tiny street. Being full of swanky cocktail bars, traditional boozers, slightly pretentious clothing shops for hipsters who love to show off that they don't have any genitals, and only one lap dancing club, where a slew of very heterosexual lads pay for the privilege of getting a boner while sat next to their buddies. Near the top sits 29 Great Windmill Street, a three-storey, flat-fronted, brown-brick terraced house built in the mid-1700s. It's simple, basic and forgettable. Just as it was in the 1880s. Today, it has a shop on the ground floor and accommodation above. And although these flats are much sought after today, they were once lodgings for Soho's most impoverished in a place of poverty, sadness and death. As it was here, on Sunday the 29th of May, 1887, the 20-year-old Amelia Pottle had a little accident with an oil lamp, which led to her slow and painful death. And yet it wasn't a mishap, but a murder. The life of Amelia Pottle was short, tragic and unremarkable. The only reason we know about her life is because of her death. And the only reason we know about her death is because her injuries made it newsworthy. As the pain she endured became a grisly hook for an insatiable media with a few columns to fill and nothing more. Amelia Pottle was born in 1867, although the day and the month we don't know. As on different records, she was listed as Amelia, Emily, and even Eliza. The likelihood is, it wasn't her real name. As with the parish records inaccurate, her birth details missing, her death certificate wrong, and having arrived and died before the 1881 and 1891 census. As she only lived in London for a few years, according to the locals, she wasn't English, but French. As many immigrants did, it's likely that she anglicised her birth name to blend in. So although Emily or Amelia could have been correct, as an English name, Pottle may have been a misspelling of the French names Poulain, Poitiel, or perhaps as a nod to her hometown of Poitiers. But that we shall never know. By 1887, age 20, Amelia Pottle would become a shadow of the girl she once was. It is said, with dreams of being a dancer, 
She was lured to the West End and its burgeoning theatre land. Set at the back of Shaftesbury Avenue, 12 years before the Windmill Theatre was built as a picture house for the latest films by Mutoscope and Biograph, Great Windmill Street was encircled by the Trocadero Music Hall, the first London Pavilion Music Hall, and the stage doors of the Lyric Theatre. But as close as she may have come to her dream, her life would become a nightmare. Although a mystery, her physical description tells us everything we need to know about Amelia. According to locals, she was an ordinary girl of average height and weight, who walked with a slight limp on her left leg, but whether it was caused by illness or injury is unknown. Her hair was brown and tangled, her eyes were blue and bloodshot, and although her stick-thin arms and legs were as skinny and brittle as autumn twigs, with a large scar across her belly and a plumpness to her midriff, this told the sorry but all-too-familiar tale of a woman whose absent children had either been placed in the workhouse far from their unfit mother, or that none of them had survived. She spoke French with a French accent, her German was good, and her English was passable. But being unable to read or write, she hadn't the skills or the education to pull herself out of poverty. As many women did, with blistered fingers, Amelia took on piecework, working long hours for short pay stitching decorative accessories for the garments sold in the fashion stores on nearby Oxford Street. Life was hard. Some days she ate and some days she didn't. But forced to make a choice between whether to live or die, what she could earn in a day by sewing, she could make in an hour by selling sex. For at least the last two years of her life, Amelia Pottle had been a sex worker who sold her body for pennies in the local haunts of Regent Street and Leicester Square, and brought back her many punters to her squalid lodgings. Limping past the endless lines of fans outside of the packed theatres, where her dreams were now nothing but a faded memory. She sold sex to eat, she ate to live, and to forget her life, she drank. It was a vicious circle of which she would never escape. She would be born, she would work, and she would die. Joy would be fleeting, dreams would only be dreams, and hope would be a lost cause. The best thing in her life was that she loved to be loved, and wished that one day she would be married. But with only a string of long-term lovers, in August 1886, she met the man she would love, loathe, and would defend with her very last breath. Franz Schultz was a nobody. But unlike Amelia, he was once a somebody. Or so it seemed. Although a mystery, his physical description tells us everything we need to know about Franz Schultz. According to locals, the 32-year-old German arrived from Bremen half a decade earlier, having settled somewhere in the East End with a woman and several children. Only now, he was alone. 
fueled by an intense pride. His voice was gruff and Prussian. His pals were all Germanic. He never anglicized his name, although he was also known as Joseph. And as a fervently political man, it is said that he was once a teacher. But whatever it was that he taught, it was no longer of practical use. He was too stubborn to give up, too angry to go home, and too useless for manual labor. So with nothing but his education, he earned a pittance as an interpreter. Only his command of English was pitiful. Being tall, broad, bearded and bespectacled, looking like an academic, he wasn't a powerful man, but he could be loud, frightening and imposing. A passionate bookworm with a fiery temper, a selfish streak and uncontrollable emotions which swung from happiness to anger to tears in an instant. Maybe once he was something, but now he was nothing. A failure, a leech, and a drunk from dusk till dawn. With a slurred rhetoric, a threadbare suit, and a foul mood clouded by booze. Who stumbled from pub to pub all along Great Windmill Street. From the stone public house at number 50, to the Catherine Wheel at 45. From the Duke of Argyle at the top of the street, all the way down to the Red Lion pub where 40 years earlier, the great Karl Marx had outlined the Communist Manifesto. Just five doors down from where Franz would soon live at 29 Great Windmill Street. Amelia Pottle and Franz Schultz were two failures bound together by desperation. She was a hopeless dreamer in search of a happy life and her forever lover. Whereas he was a homeless drunk. Amelia was trapped in a bad relationship, in a bad place, with a bad man. But she always had hope. In October 1886, after one week together, Amelia and Franz moved into a small shabby lodging at 29 Great Windmill Street. With a communal yard out back, a water tank in the cellar, a cesspit shared by four streets, and on the first floor, a cramped, sparsely furnished room with a stove for heating, water by the bucket, a coarse horsehair bed for sleeping and sex work, and the only light was by oil lamp. Amelia worked hard to provide them both with a home, food, furniture and drink. And whereas she only drank to steady her nerves, to drown her sorrows and to get herself through another rotten day, he drank himself into oblivion. She provided everything for their lives and she hoped for their future, as she presumptively called herself Mrs. Schultz. In his eyes, she was a whore and he hated it. But he didn't have a problem living off her earnings. Over the next few months, as much as Amelia tried to make peace, to pick up the pieces, and to stitch back together the ragged fragments of their disintegrating romance, Franz would never back down. Their love was gone, their fights were bitter, and of the few personal possessions of hers he hadn't smashed in a drunken rage, what pieces she had left, he would pawn off 
to buy himself some more booze. Their first floor room so often echoed to the sounds of screams, squeals and smashes, that the other tenants often ignored it, as although Amelia gave as good as she got, she often came off worse. Her sickly pale skin was now a kaleidoscope of abuse. Her blue and bloodshot eyes were lost behind two puffy black lumps. The fresh red welts on her back blended in with the day-old purple sprains and the weak-old yellow sores. And with her stick-thin arms weak, her belly sore from being kicked, the mottled bruises down the length of her limping left leg made her more likely to stumble and trip. And with her fists swollen and her fingers fractured, she was now more prone than ever to mishaps. The days when he felt enough pity to stop the beating had passed. What held his anger back was that she was his meal ticket. He knew that the more he beat her, the worse she looked and the less she earned. After every brutal and sustained fight, with her body too woozy to feel the pain and her face so swollen it absorbed the punches, having fled to the safety of the communal yard under the windows of several prying eyes. To keep the peace, it was always Amelia who apologised, blamed herself, and when asked what happened, she would always lie to protect the man that she would love with her dying breath. Sunday the 29th of May 1887 was an ordinary day. For the wealthy, they rested. For the devout, they prayed. And with three breweries perched at the top of the street, for many locals, it was an excuse to booze. But for Amelia, she worked. The cupboards were bare, the rent was due, and she was struggling. Burdened by a multicolored mess of blotchy lumps, her battered face could no longer command the 12 shillings it once could. And even in the dark, and at a discount, it would fail to raise any punter's passion. So Amelia had returned to piecework while her bruises healed. Hours were long, pay was short, and her work rate was slow, as stitching was impossible with her fingers so swollen. Luckily, Amelia had a regular customer, who no matter what, would visit her lodging every Sunday. He was never named in the court records, perhaps because of his status. All we know is that he was young, decent and polite. He was a little lonely, but he treated her well. And as an admirer of hers, he often treated her to something special, whether a wildflower, a love poem, or as a rarity amongst the poor, a fresh tomato from Berwick Street Market, or sometimes a citrus fruit. Each fleeting visit was brief, but afterwards, buried in the midst of a mangled face, she could be seen to crack a smile. At 5pm, on the coarse horsehair bed in her first floor lodging at 29 Great Windmill Street, Amelia and her admirer were engaged in sex. On a bedside table, by a glass oil lamp, lay ten shillings as payment. It's unknown whether she charged him less because of the way she looked, or because she liked him. 
But for that brief moment, he was a little ray of joy in her miserable little life. A life ruined by friends. While Amelia had been working, friends had been boozing. And having been booted out of several pubs for spouting his angry political rhetoric, now he was drunk, broke, and in need of more money. Staggering down Great Windmill Street, stumbling into number 29, and banging his way up the wooden stairs, on the first floor landing, he stood silent and seething, as inside, he heard Amelia making money. He knew what she did, how she did it, and how much she charged, as not only did he contribute nothing to their food or their rent, but to him, every pump was a pint, every suck was a shot, and every fornication was a flagon. So no one really knows why it angered him so much this time. Having heard the squeals, the screams and the smashes, Teresa Marshall, a matronly Prussian woman, had thundered down from the floor above. Seeing the door hanging off its hinges, the young man hurled out, and the couple bitterly cursing each other. Being furious, not only at Amelia's infidelity having shagged another man, but being even angry at her at how little she had charged him, before friends could belt Amelia with the hard back of the broken wooden chair. Teresa had stopped him. Disarmed and alarmed by this strong-willed woman, Teresa ordered Franz to shut up, calm down, and to go to bed. And for the rest of the evening, he was silent. A few hours later, from her deathbed, and through the pain of her last gasping breath, Amelia Pottle, who presumptively called herself Mrs. Schultz, would insist that what happened next was an accident, caused by her sore fingers, a fumbled oil lamp, and that it was all her fault. But we know that it wasn't. At roughly 1.30am the next morning, 29 Great Windmill Street was once again awoken by an almighty fight, with furniture breaking, a single oil lamp flickering the angry shadows as Amelia was beaten black and blue, and over it all, the gruff Germanic bark of obscenities, like a dirty beast and you are a whore. With the tenants so used to her screams, many simply curled up and waited for the inevitable to blow over, as a tearful Amelia would flee to the safety of the communal backyard, under the scrutiny of her neighbour's windows, where she would apologise, he would calm down, and silence would return. Only this time, it didn't. Dressed in nothing but a red flannel nightdress, a stark shade which mirrored the blood which seeped from her busted nose, as Amelia's bare feet hammered down the wooden stairs, screaming the whole house down with words like murder and police. Behind her followed a furious friends. His enraged face illuminated by a single oil lamp, and in the dark of this unlit passageway, 
just a few steps before the sanctuary of the backyard, the neighbors heard the smashing of glass and a never-ending scream. The night was dark and the lamp was broken, but somehow the whole backyard was bathed in a bright orange glow, as if the sun had mistimed a new dawn. Struggling to adjust to the blinding light, the tenants heard no bird songs, only the screams of a young girl being burnt alive. As with only the flailing of her terrified arms and legs to be seen, Amelia was enveloped in an intense ball of fire. Sunk to his knees, every time that Franz tried to extinguish the inferno, the panicked flapping of his hands just fanned the flames. As when he touched her, her hair sizzled up into tufts of black ash, and her nightdress fizzled as it melted into her bare skin, which came off in thick red clumps. As Franz scooped up Amelia in his arms, the disintegrating remnants of her clothes, hair and skin littering the floor below, as he carried her down into the cellar to douse in water her scorched body, she was heard to whimper, take me to the hospital, I will say I did it myself. Han cranking an old water pump, filling a bucket, and hearing it hiss as the cold liquid hit the burning skin of the blackened and charred woman. Again she pleaded, Please, I'm dying. Take me to the hospital. I will say that I did it. But instead, he dithered, filling a second bucket, pump after pump. Moments later, as a stranger shouted police, hearing the distant sound of a police whistle and the murmurous crowds congregated outside, Franz changed his mind. And with her nightdress burned off, as well as much of her skin, having wrapped Amelia's smoking and smouldering body in a blanket, he carried her out into the street, hailed a horse-drawn cab, and took her to the hospital. After an interminably long 30-minute journey from Soho to Fitzrovia, over a series of cobbled and bumpy roads, Amelia finally arrived at Middlesex Hospital. Collapsed and barely conscious, a porter carried this unsightly steaming lump inside. Her hair was gone, her features unrecognizable, and from her face to her feet, her purple and yellow bruises had been replaced by a red and black mottling. Seen by the house surgeon, Dr. Headley Bartlett, her condition was described as dangerous, and it was feared that she may not survive the night. But even before she was led in, Franz's excuses had begun. For anyone who would listen, from the cab driver, to the porter, to the surgeon, and to the neighbours, he would forcibly argue his side of the story, angrily insisting against all evidence that she did this, she threw a lamp at me, we burn, we both burn. And although he only returned to the hospital once to see if she was dead, it was clear that he didn't care about her. He only cared 
about himself. At 3.40pm that day, Inspector Edmund Burke arrested Franz Schultz for the violent assault of Amelia Pottle, to which he said almost nothing except, Very well. Is she dead? At 9pm, barely alive, she used her last breath to make a statement to the police. But by 10pm, having suffered more than 50% burns to her head, face, limbs and most of her torso, Amelia died of her injuries. The police investigation was simple, as although friends would try to bribe several onlookers to change their story by gifting them some of his dead girlfriend's personal effects. And with his sole defence, being that she had accidentally tipped the oil lamp over herself whilst in bed, all of the witnesses and all of the evidence, from the screams to the scorch marks, from the broken lamp to the paraffin residue, not a single thread of which was found in the bedroom, would find his guilt irrefutable. At the coroner's inquest, held at the Marlborough Street Police Court on the 3rd of June 1887, instead of trying him for the lesser charge of violent assault, the jury returned a guilty verdict for manslaughter, and the case was committed to a criminal trial, with the possibility of a death sentence looming. Held at the Old Bailey on the 27th of June 1887, just four weeks after her death, 32-year-old Franz Schultz was tried for the willful murder of 20-year-old Amelia Pottle. His defence was farcical, the evidence was damning, and with every single eyewitness recounting the incident, the many times he had mercilessly beat her and assassinating his character by describing him as a drunk, a bully and a pimp, a unanimous jury should have found him guilty of murder and watched as his pathetic little body dangled from a rope with his neck snapped. But they didn't. One witness would change everything. And she wasn't in court that day, or even alive. To the police inspector and the hospital surgeon, keeping a promise from her deathbed, Amelia had made a statement that it was all an accident, that it was all her fault. And with that, Franz Schultz, the man who she had loved and one day hoped to marry, was found innocent of her murder. Upon his release, he pawned off all of her personal belongings to buy booze. And that was the last time he was ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. After the break, I shall tell you all the secrets of life. That's if the secrets of life all involve tea, cake, coots and lots of waffling. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Len Adams, Roisin McGettigan and Matt Munnery. I thank you all. With an extra thank you to Sharon Brereton for your very kind donation. I know that now and the days ahead are going to be hard for everyone, so I really do appreciate all of your support for this small independent podcast. Whether that's as a patron, 
by sharing this podcast with your pals or by giving it a nice review on your favourite podcast app. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult with No Name. Thank you for listening and sleep well. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Oh, big yawn, big yawn, oh, <laughs> oh, that was a yawn and a half, oh, hello everyone, welcome to Extra Mile, we're here again, oh, here we are, unedited, unscripted, bloody bloody blah, this is all the extra stuff, uh, I know uh, the other week someone said, uh, "Why, why is, uh, uh, why do we have to listen to the other half? Uh, it's your your podcast is only half an hour long, and yet it's, the rest of it is all just waffle." It's like, no, no, no. The first half of the podcast, that half you've just listened to, that's the podcast. That is everything. The podcast is thirty minutes long, roughly. This is extra well. This is extra, extra. It's on top. You don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. Many people switch off. Some people can continue listening. That's all good. Uh, this is extra, so you've listened to the podcast, this is the extra bit. So if you want to switch off now, it's not a problem at all. Uh, but if you do stay, we're going to have a little chat about stuff. I'll give you some more information about this case. Uh, I'm going to have a cake. Oh dear, I'm going to uh, have pop on my cup of tea. I'm going to open some windows. Uh, 
birds are really noisy this morning. Got a blackbird right above me, and blackbirds are really noisy there. That you could chirping away. The coots are outside being noisy. There's a man way down the canal who's uh, who decided to hit something. About half percent. I was partway through recording this. I'm up early as always because I like to record early. Uh, and he, for some reason, he decided to, like he was using a lump hammer on some metal. It's like, it's like he was breaking up a car, and it was like seven, half seven in the morning. What a numpty. Anyway, I'm going to put my tea on. Tea on. Tea on. Water in the kettle. La, 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 la. go. Pop that on. Some Yorkshire tea. Lovely Yorkshire tea time. Oh, one sugar. Trying to be good. Putting on weight. Oops. Oh. Oh, donut. I've got a donut. Where did that come from? I seem to have an extra donut. I meant I. I said to myself this week I'm going to go back on my diet. It didn't happen. Didn't that didn't happen? I decided I needed some biscuits. So I went out and bought some biscuits, and then when I was there, I bought some cakes, as always. <sighs> right, what have we got? What have we got? Right, okay, little update. What have we, where I am at the moment, it's very nice. I posted a picture the other day of all the swans. Got loads of, there's a nice family of swans and swans of cygnets who come to my door twice a day for their dindins. Uh, and they're nice. Uh, I think there's like about eight cygnets, and all very fluffy and cute. Uh, and there's loads of coots and all the moorhens are out at the moment so that's all good they're a bit noisy but uh, apart from that uh, it's nice to see them they're very pleasant uh, what else are we doing e-shop still up and running uh, I've just ordered some new mugs which is very exciting uh, same design but um, obviously I, I haven't got a lot of space here for stuff so I have a limited range but I've got some new mugs coming in because they're all sold out uh, I've just ordered some uh, they've just turned up some new exciting teeny tiny murder mile badges not like the the other ones which are kind of the size of a 10p piece these are littler little white ones they're quite cute uh also i've uh i've made a very exclusive murder mile keyring Ooh, you can hear you can hear blackbird chirping his bloody mouth off uh uh and there's only going to be a limited run of that exclusive keyring so i've made those um uh, if you are on my $25 a month plus Patreon subscriber, I'm going to send you one of those as soon as they turn up and the new teeny tiny badges. So I'm trying to make sure that everyone in the different tiers for Patreon get different gifts and things like that. Uh, but if you want to order anything, you know, you can make your own stuff on the Threadless store. We've got Threadless store. All my logos are up there. You can you can just take the logo and you can make t-shirts and caps and whatever you want with it. Um, I get a tiny amount of money for that, but it's fine because I, I don't have to do anything, which is really good. And it means I don't have to store stuff because I don't have a place to store stuff. Uh, what else have we got? What else is going on? Uh, I'm finding Amazon crappy at the moment. Anyone else? Am Amazon's being a bit crappy. I would say if, if you order, say, five things in a week, uh, three seem to not turn up now. Or, or I, I found that like I, I ordered one thing and it said it's in stock and I ordered it and then like I got a note saying it will arrive in seven weeks. It's like what? 
uh, I went to uh, deliver a Father's Day present for my dad. They tried to deliver it. He wasn't in, so they said, we'll try the next day. And then and then five days later, after Father's Day, they said, oh, uh, we're, it's running late. And I was like, mm, don't see why. And then the day after that, they said it's undeliverable, which was brilliant. We're getting a lot of those. Amazon have gone really crappy, and they don't seem to be admitting that, that they can't cope at the moment. Uh, so that's all a bit crap. Uh, what else is happening? Pubs are opening this weekend in the UK. Um, I would have loved to go out, but unfortunately, as we all know, all the dickheads are going to be on a rampage this weekend going, oh, we haven't drank in a pub in months. Uh, so they'll be necking back as many beers as they can and acting like absolute twats. So as much as I would love to go back to a pub this weekend, uh, I don't think it's going to happen for a couple of weeks. Although a lot of pubs seem to be doing a very clever idea, which is they're doing table service only, which I think is the new way forward. And you have to book before you go in. So either uh, some pubs are doing kind of takeaways from windows, which is an interesting idea, especially if you have nice weather and you've got a big garden. That's a good idea. Uh, But as long as people keep a distance, which they people are not at the moment, I'm finding uh uh yeah so we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes i think i think this could be the test for us won't it pubs opening restaurants opening cafes opening oh most shops opening will people be able to remember to keep their distance i'm finding that people aren't especially finding if you're in a supermarket people tend to stop in the middle of you and they have a little think and they they don't realize that they're blocking the whole aisle and they look at you you're stopped like two meters away from them they look at you like what and it's like i'm trying to get past and i can't get past because there's not two meters around you you're blocking it and you're 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 staring at your phone you're playing angry birds you stupid twat anyway oh people people so uh what else we done uh yes my my literally my tea is about to go now so let's do it now let's not have it too hot Another noisy bird outside, I don't recognise that call. What is that? It's either a more it's coming from the area where the moorhens of the hoot and the coots are, but it's making a sound that I don't recognise. Maybe it's sexy sounds. It is that season. Maybe 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 I'm listening to coot sexy sounds. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, This case. Right. Oh, this is a case that uh, originally, originally I was going to have this on one of my tours, but uh, I decided not to because there was already too much on it. Not that I'm doing tours at the moment, which is a pain. Uh, But this case, a bit hard to research uh, because there's no file in the National Archives. There is... Uh, a file on uh, the, the old Bailey, which is useful. It's kind of kind of part of the uh, original court transcript. Uh, but unfortunately, as mentioned, you know, at the start of this, a lot of details are wrong. You, know, you would think in court files that the details would be right, but they don't even get the names right. Uh, parish records are wrong. A lot of the things on the genealogy is wrong. So it's 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 really difficult. I, I At the start, I was like, oh, these... Okay, they've got a name that's good, but the name was wrong, her name was wrong. A lot of people who live in that house, their, de- their details are wrong. So obviously the details are only good as, as the people who gives... A, the, who records down the details and the person who gives the details as well. So, for example, like the death certificate of Christine Granville on the, on the previous episode. Uh, even in that, there's, you know... 
on there there needs to be name age place of birth occupation and where the death was registered okay of those five details four of them were wrong her name was wrong her day of birth was wrong her occupation was wrong you know but that's the problem is it's it's you know uh, it's not a foolproof system and i'm finding a lot of mistakes on the genealogy websites i know a lot of people go oh look you should look at this this is a really interesting and it's on the genealogy website therefore it's accurate but it's not the more i go into it the more i'm starting to go the more i'm starting to question things a lot because there's a lot of links that don't make sense and a lot of details like like people's date of birth are wrong their names are wrong there's misspellings you know you've got to be quite careful about it as an example I decided to uh, do a genealogy search. Actually, I started with my granddad because uh, I knew that he has he has about seven siblings. So I checked, and none of his siblings were listed. Like I was like, mm, that's weird. Why is my granddad's siblings not there? So I did a check on myself, uh, and I've got two siblings. But according to the genealogy websites, I have five siblings, and three of them are Italian. Uh, <laughs> so either it's wrong, or I need to have uh, serious words with my dad. Uh, so that's so you know just by checking what it, what you can see about yourself you can see what's what's right and what's wrong and you know which is why this this was really difficult to uh to research into this case there was not a lot of information but i kind of enjoy those cases because you kind of you get all your information you go okay what do i know but more importantly what don't i know and then you have to work your way around it so you know you can use press clippings at the time there was the uh the coroner's inquest which was useful so there's two trials here so that became really useful uh parish records was there but that information wasn't particularly good um because we knew what she did i was able to use other sources about you know local prostitutes in the area what their life was like uh, I to, there was records from the hospital as well that was kind of useful as well uh but you know there's big gaps in it but you know that's that's the that's the thing with people who are relatively poor there's there's very little written about them i mean just the average person details about yourself there's not going to be a lot out there about all of us so uh it's a hard thing to investigate but hopefully we've got we are able to tell enough of her story here anyway that was waffle let's do the questions question the quiz time so uh as always these will be uh various questions to do with the episode i might accidentally spoil them when we go through the the extra mile bit uh or i may have edited them out of the episode therefore you might not be able to get them but you know let's go with it right question one <sighs> what country is it believed that amelia came from that was question one question two what occupation did Franz Schultz have previously? What was his previous um, job? As mentioned in here, uh, let's make sure I don't muck it up. No, as as mentioned in here, he was working in Soho as an interpreter. But what was his job prior to that? Question three. What was written in the upstairs room of the Red Lion pub on Great Windmill Street and who by? Oh, that was snuck in there somewhere. So uh, whether you heard that. Uh, question four. Uh, what hospital was Amelia taken to? It's a hospital that we've covered many times before. Not there anymore. Now demolished. Uh, question five. Which flammable liquid was inside the lamp? There's an uh, aircraft flying over at the moment. I'm right next to uh, a very small 
private airport. And I've got a little app on my phone uh, called Flight Tracker and a, a geeky stuff. And it, it, it's live air traffic control and you can check all the planes coming in and out and you can see where they come from. And there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of small private planes going from places I've never heard of and, co- and coming into here. Not Heathrow, not Gatwick, not Stansted, not Luton at this little private airport. And I'm like, mm, that's interesting. Maybe maybe they're not drug dealers. Who knows? Um, uh, question six. Which infamous theatre, now a lap dancing club, is still on Great Windmill Street? Okay, I'll give you a clue. The, the, there's a clue in the, the, the name. Uh, question seven. What two fruits did Amelia's young admirer bring with him when he came to visit on that Sunday? Oh, other Sundays as well. Not just that Sunday. So what two fruits did Amelia's young admirer bring with him? Uh, Question eight. What was the name of the fearsome German lady who lived one floor above? Uh, Question nine. What what is it believed that Amelia wanted to do? That was as a job, her career. Uh, Question ten. How was Franz described in court? Who's described three different ways you can use either of them. Right, okay. <gasps> uh, a swig of tea, that was nice. Oh, I, I think I might have forgotten to put sugar in. Uh, and I today I have, I haven't got a cake, I've got from the co-op, from the coop, uh, Belgian chocolate, chocolate chunk shortbreads. Oh, these are my one of my weaknesses. They're marked as irresistible and they are very good. They're good. The Sainsbury's ones are very good as well. Uh, right, come on, co-op and, and Sainsbury's and all that, and Tesco. Stop sponsoring this podcast, the cake section. Right, um, little details about the area that we're talking about. So you've got Great Windmill Street. Uh, oh, was that a question? Was that a question? No. So uh, I didn't put that in a question, so that's good. Uh, obviously, as mentioned, Great Windmill Street was named after a windmill that used to be at the top of the field, uh, which is known as Windmill Field. Um, but you've got other streets in the area connecting to it with similar names. So you've got Brewer Street that we've mentioned before and Glasshouse Street. Right at the top of the street, right next to uh, 29 Great Windmill Street, where Franz and Amelia lived, uh, there were uh, quite a few breweries as well. So there was the the Ayers Brewery, which is on the corner of Little Pulteney Street. So the, right on the corner, right next to where they were, corner of uh, Pulteney Street and Lexington Street, that was there. Uh, that was only closed down in 1928, uh, which is where the Lex Garage is now. So, um, so that would have been there when they were there. Uh, on the immediately the other side of that street and it's only a tiny street was uh david's brewery um that was there that wouldn't have been there when they were there but there was a version of it and just behind that was the golden square brewery as well uh and there was the lion brewery as well on broadwick street which has just come into my head right okay details about this near the end of the story as always you know to sometimes it's best when you get near the end of the story not to pack it full of information sometimes it's best just to to round things up and you know make it satisfying so um just after the uh all of the oil had been tipped over amelia and she was burning and after uh franz had taken her down to the basement to try and put her out and uh someone had called the police 
and, th- and then he took her outside. So there was a guy called George Data, pastry cook. Uh, he lived on 22 Lexington Street, so the straight street over. He heard the screams of murder police, saw friends coming out. Amelia in his arms, she was naked and she had burns up and down her body. Uh, it was George who hailed the horse-drawn cab. In the story, I just said, uh, got into a cab, went to the hospital. It was actually George who hailed it. All of them got in, they drove there. Um, when George saw her, this is why I took it out, because it was hard to kind of get this across. George said, good God, what is the matter? Um, uh, and friends said, we burn, we burn, in broken English. Uh, the woman, Amelia, said, fetch me a cab. I'm dying, I'm dying. George said, oh, no, you're not, madam. I will see after you. I will get you a cab. Uh, obviously, this is why I didn't put it in, because it's hard to put that across without it sounding kind of a little bit funny um uh george said uh put something around her uh uh so uh her friends got a a a, a blanket put it around her they put her in a cab uh they drove her to the middlesex hospital which according to this took about 40 minutes if this is right but i think the timings must be out because to go from piccadilly circus up there that's possible in about 20 so i don't know why it took so long but anyway uh maybe the timing of when the incident happened was wrong or maybe the arrival at the at the hospital was wrong it's hard to tell Cause don't forget people weren't really using pocket watches or uh watches or if it, you know, it'd be rare if you'd have a pocket watch you'd probably use like uh, the local clock tower so you know people's exact timings can't can't be held to account on this uh, so they made it to the Middlesex Hospital. Woo! Oh, bollocks. Pretend you didn't hear that. <laughs> oh, bollocks, you heard it anyway. It's it's over on Mortimer Street over in Fitzrovia. Um, hospital surgeon was called uh, Headley Bartlett. Uh, he said the woman was brought in about 2.25am. She had no clothes on, but was wrapped had a blanket wrapped around her. She was severely burnt from head to foot. Her hair was singed. The burns were worst on her chest. The extremities were also burnt. She was in great pain and had collapsed. Uh, and he considered her to be in a very dangerous state. Um, obviously, they... Um, obviously, it's kind of this era where they, they say, you know, I got the assistance of Mr. Brown to help dress her. Obviously, this kind of era, the kind of half of them is kind of focused on on getting her well, but the other half is about the, her modesty. And it's like, you know, she's she's covered in burns. Never mind about putting an, a, a nightie on her so she looks okay. It's like, you know, put put something on her skin to stop stop her burning. But obviously, you know, uh, they didn't. Uh, as mentioned in the story, Franz was full of excuses all the way there. Um, he basically everyone he, he spoke to so there was george darter who was the guy the pastry chef who got him the cab teresa marshall the german lady upstairs i've just fucked up another question peter bolstrode who was on the ground floor he had a little uh bedroom behind the shop so he was only about three feet away from when the burning happened of of amelia so he was able to see it all and it's because of him that we're able to hear exactly what she said and and what he said to her as well so that was that was kind of really useful uh and to everyone he spoke to friends tried to convince them that she threw a lamp at me that's what he kept saying she threw a lamp at, at me um 
and he he says he batted it away but anytime someone would say so did you throw the lamp at it he would go no 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 i never did that i just i was defending myself uh even though even though if you know with the story he was carrying the lamp downstairs uh and as mentioned he tried to bribe bribe some of the witnesses by giving them some of amelia's personal belongings don't forget these people are quite poor so do you know if someone has a table or some jewelry or stuff like that it's always useful um uh he i took this out of the story as well but he kept going around to people like three hours after the incident he went back he spoke to trey's he spoke to the lady on the uh, who's the floor above him, the, the the big German lady who was sorting everything out, and he said, uh, uh, he, he kept telling her that she was, that uh, Amelia was dead. He was like, oh, she's dead, she's dead, and things like that. But she wasn't dead. It was like it would be hours before she was dead. But he kept telling people she was dead, and then he would go back to the hospital to check whether she was dead, and she wasn't dead yet. So it's. Um, he didn't seem to care that much about her. He seemed to care about his story and, you know, whether he was going to be found uh, uh, guilty of murder. Uh, with hospital doctor, he saw that Franz's hands were injured. I took this out of the story as well because it's it kind of it, it was hard to put in. So sometimes it's hard to put things in there. You put them in and then you go, it doesn't work in the story, so you have to take it out. Uh, hospital doctor looked at his hands, said they were, they were slightly burnt, not terribly burnt but it looked kind of looked like an oil lamp burn as well so uh but it wasn't as horrific as hers his, his was you know entirely bearable um uh so uh franz said to the doctor she threw a lamp at me which is what he said to everyone the doctor asked how is it that um uh, she is a good deal more burnt than you are you are not burnt at all compared to what she is he shook his head and made no reply uh, the doctor said, did you take it up, i.e. the lamp, and throw it back at her? He said, no. Uh, but obviously, when you, you know, when you look at all the injuries to her body, it's clear that uh, he threw the lamp at her. He hit her, exploded. Uh, she caught fire. Uh, at 3.40pm that day, Edmund Burke, uh, police inspector of C-section, uh, went to the Middlesex Hospital uh to st uh, to take a statement of uh amelia while she was on her deathbed um that's uh, around that time franz schultz he calls him frank schultz uh uh, 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 uh sorry i'm reading ahead uh he saw frank schultz and he said uh, frank schultz and franz said Yes, and he says, I shall take you into custody for violently assaulting a woman by throwing a lighted lamp at her at 29 Great Windmill Street this morning. Obviously, Amelia's still alive by that point. Um, I cautioned him uh, as to anything he might say, and he said, very well, is she dead? Uh, I took him to the station where he was charged. He said nothing. Uh, as mentioned, you know, at, at 9 o'clock she made a statement, and at 10 o'clock she passed away. Um it is said that she died of shock owing to uh owing to her injuries it was about 50 percent burns to the front of her body uh, from her head down to her feet most of her extremities especially on her chest uh quite thick burns as well uh a very simple police investigation the inspector went around the house actually a, a pc went around there first and uh uh kept an eye on the scene a uh, police officer found no signs of burning oil or the smell of fire anywhere in the bedroom. In fact, when Franz 
was talking to the neighbour upstairs and he said, oh, she threw an oil lamp at me uh, in the on bed in the bed and uh she said oh so is the is the bed all burnt and the pillows and he went no it's like well how can that happen but yeah no so they checked the bedroom there was no evidence of that there at all all the witnesses said that they heard running down the stairs then they heard her screaming murder and police then the sound of a broken lamp when they looked because there's a little bit of a stairs going out the back door and down into this really small yard it's only tiny uh they found fragments of lamp uh the glass from the lamp going down the stairs into the yard because it's kind of a residue of burning uh in the yard the residue of the lamp in the yard as well um the broken lamp was actually found upstairs in the bedroom but it was clear that he'd put it back on the table where it was which is a bit stupid uh as mentioned there were no burns on the pillows or the bed or anywhere else in the flat uh what else have we got yeah i mean it, for the uh for the police it was a, re- a bit of a, a simple investigation there was enough witnesses saying what happened there was enough eyewitnesses audio witnesses do you know the the evidence was all there but obviously this is one of those cases where uh you know the one key eyewitness and that was the one that they needed uh as mentioned there was a coroner's trial it began on the 3rd of june well began on friday the 3rd of june 1887 that was the arraignment uh it was started at marlborough street police court which we've we've mentioned there before um on the 6th of june 1887 uh and originally that was just going to be for the charge of violent assault but uh, it was extended to the verdict of manslaughter, of which he was found guilty, which is why they had to uh, commit it up to a criminal court. Went to the Old Bailey. Uh, he was held at Newgate Prison, which is the prison right next to, well, attached to the Old Bailey. Uh, not not a nice place to be. Um, uh, I mean, it's slightly unfair in, in the in the uh, in the case file because. Uh, because Amelia or Emily is, is if you look at the uh, original file for uh, the old Bailey, they, they even there they refer to her as Emily Pottle, and it's not Emily, it's Amelia. But you know, it's court documents; it's not always accurate. Uh, Amelia was unfairly described as a loose woman and a whore, which is very nice of Emily, even though she's the the innocent person there. Uh, but the trial was held. Uh, he, they said that Franz looked quite a sorry figure. All the witnesses said he was a drunkard, a bully. Oh. See, I've given away another question there. Uh, I missed the last bit. A cad. I didn't add that one in. Uh, and that he regularly beat her and abused her. Uh, what else we got? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, we've kind of done everything on there. So, yeah, a bit of a sad story, that one. It's uh, obviously all the evidence was pointing in the right direction. But because because no one actually physically saw him take the lamp and smash it over her head because it was done in kind of the alleyway and everyone was in bed and the only time that people actually uh went to look was when they saw the flames and were like oh what's that and then they looked out but that was too late by that point so because no one could actually prove whether um whether she had tried to throw it at him and he just deflected it or whether as you know as it would suggest that he you know, smashed it over her head because it was unproven they couldn't they really couldn't do anything about it he was he was let off uh 
so yeah so where he is now we absolutely don't know he could be anywhere um obviously trying to find out anything about his past was difficult i know that he came over on a ship on from bremen although that is that is circumspect as well his age could be wrong his name could be wrong because don't forget uh people also refer to him as joseph uh, so his name could be Joseph as opposed to Franz. We don't know. His surname could be wrong. <sighs> Where we went after that, we don't know. There, I can't find any records of him in London. He just—I mean, there are a couple of Franz uh, Schultzes, but it, you know, it's quite a common name. So um, we don't know. Uh, we also don't know where she was buried. Uh, she was a pauper. She didn't seem to have any family. None of the family came to the trial or or to see her in hospital uh, we don't have any rec of burial records for her so it's more than likely she was buried in a pauper's grave um it's also likely i've done a couple of checks on this and it's 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 likely that they got her name wrong when they were burying her as well so uh we don't know uh what happened to friends we all as mentioned we don't know about that he uh i think it's probably likely that maybe he went back to germany or maybe he changed his name or there was talk that he was planning to go to America, but we don't know. I mean, let's not forget he's uh, he's a massive drunk. So uh, where he would have got the money to go to America, we don't know. Oh, so how much do we do? Oh, right, we've done about half an hour. Let me let me wrap this up. Right, let's do the questions. Let's do the answers to the questions of which I have I have balled up two, but you know that's no bad thing all you've got to do is just you, you can say oh i got that question right anyway you just say i oh i did it well done two extra points for me so if you would have got five you've now got seven unless you've already forgotten the answers that i've just told you or whatever right it's just a bit of fun right question one what country is it believed that amelia came from slurp of tea the answer was france uh, and we say this because we know that she spoke French uh, and they said that she spoke in a French accent although let's not forget that people's kind of uh, quite often we've had this in stories before where people have gone oh he was foreign it's like quite often it's hard to pin down an accent uh, well, we had it with the Beast character remember the, the three part at the, the start of uh, this season where people said oh we think he's Arabic and it's like he wasn't Arabic at all. He's he's Romanian, but you know people are people are terrible at that. Uh, but one thing we do know is that she spoke French, but also she spoke German. So there is a likelihood that she could have been French, but she could have been Swiss as well, uh, or she could have been English with French or Swiss parents, or maybe she was just raised in France. We don't know. So uh, the, we reckon that she comes from France, but we can't prove that. Question two, what occupation did Franz Schultz do as a job previously? Uh, it is said, although again, we can't prove this, uh, he was a teacher or a lecturer. We don't know where, and also we don't know what he taught or lectured in, but it didn't seem to be anything practical because it's not something that he could do as a job afterwards. So, uh, so we really don't know what it is. I, we, there's there's guessing that it's probably something political because he seemed quite a political person. Question three. What was written in the upstairs room of the Red Lion pub on Great Windmill Street and who by? 
This is a pub uh, which is now called Be at One uh, on the corner of uh, Archer Street and Great Wimble Street. A couple of doors down. <gasps> and the thing that was written was uh, a draft of the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. I put Frederick in there because he tends to be forgetting a lot. For, forgetting? Forgotten a lot. Uh, question four. Everyone should get this one because I gave you the answer. Question four. What hospital was Amelia taken to? Answer is the Middlesex Hospital. That's over on Mortimer Street in Fitzrovia. That was demolished a long time ago. I think it was demolished in the 60s. Uh, although it wasn't was not used a lot before that but there's quite a few people if you go back in the back stories a lot of people taken to that hospital uh although i can't remember them off the top of my head um uh question five which flammable liquid was inside the lamp that is paraffin that was an exciting question question six which infamous theatre, now a lap dancing club, is still on Great Windmill Street? Uh, easy one. This is the Windmill Theatre, named after the street, which is named after the field, which is named after the windmill. Question seven. Uh, what two fruits did Amelia's young admirer sometimes bring with him? So that was the young man who would sometimes visit well, he'd visit Amelia every Sunday, apparently. We don't know his name. It was never recorded. Uh, it is said that he would sometimes bring a tomato or a citrus fruit. Now, it doesn't say what type of citrus fruit, but this is the type of research that I do to make sure that these stories, even though there's bits that you can't find, there are bits I try and flesh it out and make it as full as possible. So we know it's not a grapefruit. Because the grapefruit first arrived in the Berwick Street Market, which is where he would have got the fruit that from, because it's the nearest market. Uh, that first arrived in 1890, so that's three years later. Uh, we do know that the tomato was first introduced uh, at the Berwick Street Market in 1880, so was seven years earlier, so we know that. Um, I like doing that. I like those little details. Where, where, do you know, this is why I don't like trusting sources too much, where people go, oh, They'll say something and they go, oh, the man went into a shop. And it's like, oh, that really winds me up. Because it's like a shop doesn't tell you anything. It's like if a man goes into a record store or a grocer's or a cutler's or, do you know, different shops tell you different things about who a person is. Do you know, do you know is it is it a, a shop for religious artifacts or is it a pornography shop? Do you know, two different. So I think it, I think it's wrong to just say a shop. Or just to say fruit, or they picked up some food, like in the Dennis Nielsen one in the story back then. Do you know it was important for me uh, to find out that uh, with one of his last victims, I think it was Paul Nobbs, one of the ones who survived. Um, Dennis, they went to the, the the little supermarket and they picked up pork chops, uh, dark rum, and full fat coke, and that was really important for me to 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 learn that because Dennis Nielsen was a chef. And you'd think, oh, if he wanted to impress someone, he would, you know, he would do something exciting. But actually, he was quite a boring cook. He was more about getting drunk and putting on some pork chops. Ooh, pork chops. Nice idea. Mm. So that's that's what I like to do with these stories. I, I know sometimes people go, oh, how good? all these details you you don't know about it. It's like, well, that's what I do. It's it's like, that's why I research in a tangent. You get all your details, and if, if something says... Uh, uh, the neighbour turned down the left street 
I'd be like, okay, what, what left street? What is it? What does it look like? It's all those little details that add up. Do you know, uh, um, uh, somebody got into a taxi. Okay, if it's 1930s, what taxis are available then? Do you know, what kind of cars? Or, or like in this era, do you know, obviously it's 1880, so it wouldn't be uh, an automated uh, taxi. It would be horse-drawn, especially in kind of the poor areas. So, whew, all exciting. Um, question eight. What was the name of the fearsome German lady who lived one floor above? Um, she was the, the lady who stormed downstairs and said, Oh, you, you, calm down, shut up, go to bed. She sounds really great. Uh, her name was Theresa Marshall. Now, uh, obviously, I did a little bit of a search on Theresa Marshall. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so she's definitely not called Theresa Marshall. Uh, we know that. We know it's probably an anglicised name uh, because in all the court records, uh, all of her words had to be translated from German. So she was only a German speaker, so she's obviously not called Theresa Marshall. We don't know what her name is, uh, but there were many people in the house, some of their original names, some had, hadn't. Uh, it's likely that she had taken the name from Marshall Street. There's a street, just one, like two streets over, called Marshall Street. So it's likely that when she came to the United Kingdom, Theresa Marshall was looking around for um, a new name and she decided on Marshall. There we go. Uh, so that was her name. The name of the fearsome German lady was Theresa Marshall, although what her real name was, we don't know. Uh, I know that she was a domestic, domestic servant working in the area. That's all we know. Uh, question nine. Uh, what is it believed that Amelia wanted to do as a job? That was a dancer. Uh, now, obviously, we don't have anything written for that. Uh, but this is kind of a lot of details were kind of mentioned at the time uh, in the kind of there's scant witness statements about the kind of things that she enjoyed. Uh, but also especially with uh, a lot of these stories um a lot of details are kind of handed down through generations as myth so i kind of heard about this story god years ago about about the um about the lady who who kind of caught fire but you know she saved her husband from being executed by uh and it was said it was said that she was a dancer whether she was a dancer we don't know uh she lived in an area back of all the theaters likely that maybe she wanted to be a dancer but let's not forget it's right it's right in the middle of kind of prostitution central and you know, the back of all the theatres, all the pubs, stuff like that. So it's also just obvious that she may have just moved there just just because it's a good place to pick up people and bring them back for prostitution. It's a big prostitution area. So there. Uh, question 10. How was Franz described in court? You don't have to have all of them, but I gave, did give some of them away. Uh, he was described as a drunk a bully and a pimp as mentioned they also described him as a cad i like that that's a good word cad i might call people that from now on you're a cad and a bounder uh good so that is that episode uh hope you enjoyed that that was all done and dusted uh i'm gonna go and edit this so that this oh this will be a th another three day i reckon oh at the moment, it's writing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, record Thursday and do a cleanup of the audio. Friday, Saturday, full edit and upload it. Sunday, start writing the next episode. Ugh. 
Although, although it's good, I'm enjoying it. So, uh, episode 100 next week, although, as I like to call it, episode 130. Because we've done a lot more episodes than 100 episodes, so uh, which is why I'm not really going to celebrate it. I know people are like, oh, you should celebrate your 100th episode. Can't be asked. Can't be asked because for me, I've already done 100. I've done 110, 120, 130 now. So, uh, yeah, enough of that. Anyway, that's that done. Hope you all enjoyed that. Stay safe, be good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The end. Okay, cool. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.